Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. These are pretty somber times for me. I'm actually on a quest. I must admit uh, that it's a quest that sometimes feels fruitless because I fail so often. So what's the quest, I hear you ask? Simply put, it's, it's to become a better version of myself with each passing day. Better in thought, word, and deed. Or action, for those of you that don't speak the old English. So two questions come to mind that some of you might be asking. First, why are you on such a quest? And second, why do you fail so often? Well, I'm glad you asked, so allow me to answer. I'm on such a quest, a quest to become a better version of myself with each passing day because of my faith in Christ and my love for God. They compel me to become more Christ-like each day. Actually, here's how the scripture says it. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Which brings me to the second question. Why do I fail so often? That's because nothing in my human makeup wants to submit. You see, my heart knows that my ego is no longer central, but my head doesn't agree. My commitment to follow Jesus leads me to believe that the life you see me living is not mine, but my desire to be Lord and master of my own destiny tells me I'm a fool for believing that. So depending on the day, the season, or the circumstance, one of those voices seems to speak much louder than the others. But before you judge me too harshly, I know for a fact that you are just like me. But before I get to you, let's talk about Paul, the man who gave us nearly two-thirds of our New Testament writings. He said the following words. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. Did you hear that? Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. 
My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. And that's taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 21 in the message translation. And I sort of draw comfort in the fact that a man who gave us nearly two-thirds of our New Testament sort of wrestles with the same things that I do. He has the same battles, the same struggles. But it also is comforting to know that he was on the same quest to become a better version of himself with each passing day. Better in thought, better in word, and better in deed. I'm grateful that Paul is vulnerable enough to record his own struggles so that I don't feel like I'm a consummate failure and there's no chance of real redemption for me. So it seems patently obvious to me that this human struggle for supremacy over ego and vice is universal and enduring. It's been going on for generations. Power, influence, and authority, though, from what I've noticed, seem to be the perfect breeding ground for the expression of this all-too-human struggle. Why do I say that? Well, simple. You see, before I ever believed that I had something of value to offer people, whatever that thing may be, whether it was my insight and ability to teach the scriptures, whether it was my leadership skills, whatever it is that I might have come to believe adds value to the people into whose lives I'm speaking and that I'm influencing. Before I ever believed that I had those skills and gifts, I didn't struggle with hubris. There was nothing to be full of hubris about. I was just, pardon the expression, a regular Joe, which is actually, as an aside, why I don't like being called Joe. I prefer to use my full name, Joseph. But back to the issue. Hubris defined is excessive pride or arrogance. Did you hear that? Excessive pride or arrogance. So when I read that, I thought, excessive pride? Then what is pride itself? And so I checked the dictionary definition, and pride defined is a high or inordinate opinion of one's own importance, one's merit or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing, conduct, etc. I guess defining pride like that, there's no hiding or escaping it. Because whether it's festering in your mind or in the way you carry yourself or comport yourself, or if it's seen in the way you live your life, it's still pride. And pride is simply thinking you're more important than you actually are. But then, hubris is all that and more, because hubris is excessive pride. So excessively thinking or carrying yourself or behaving in a manner that suggests that you are more important than you really are. That's scary. I was uh, recently 
reading some material, and I read this quote that I found to be fascinating. It was, it's by a gentleman called Robert Ingersoll, who was an American politician that lived during the time of Abraham Lincoln. And in a speech that he gave, he had this to say about President Lincoln. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. It is the glory of Abraham Lincoln that he never abused power, only on the side of mercy. So Ingersoll lived from August 11th, 1833 to July 21st, 1899. And I, I'm fascinated by this statement. I agree completely that most men can stand adversity. Um, and men, I use men gender inclusive, of course. Most people, I should say, can stand uh, adversity. But if you really want to test a person's character, give them power. And what they do with power, the abuse, wanton abuse of power, it was Lord Acton who said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So let's get back to you then. Remember how I said you're no different than me? Well, the truth is, we mean well, but like Paul, our carnal nature desires things that are contrary to what God says is best for us. Just like addictive foods that we crave, which are not healthy or good for us, our humanity begs to be freed to pursue what it craves, even though what it craves is ultimately destructive. That's human nature. It's the fallen human nature. And the fact that we profess to be Christ followers doesn't suddenly eliminate the fallen human nature. It is a constant journey towards refinement. It's why the Bible says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is good, perfect, and acceptable as the will of God. And it's because we tend to crave things that are ultimately destructive. It's because of that that so many leaders, whether uh, they are heads of organizations um, or, or pastors, and I'm speaking specifically of Christian leaders because that's the world that I live in and that's the world in the space in which I function. Uh, and, and so I've, I've come to terms with the fact that this is why so many leaders and pastors and heads of organization, organizations struggle to live up to their promise, their potential, or even to their commitments. And it's not necessarily because they start out being bad or corrupt, though admittedly some of them do. But it's because somewhere along the line, as they experienced a measure of what they interpret to be success, hubris sets in, and it becomes a stronghold. I've seen it far too often in churches in which I've served and in secular organizations in which I worked. But I love the way Brene Brown, in her book, Braving the Wilderness, the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone. I love the way she puts it. Here's what Brene has to say. When the culture 
of any organization mandates that it is more important to protect the reputation of a system and those in power than it is to protect the basic human dignity of the individuals who serve that system or who are served by that system, you can be certain that the shame is systemic. The money is driving ethics and the accountability is all but dead. This is true in corporations, nonprofits, universities, governments, faith communities, schools, families, and sports programs. If you think back on any major scandal fueled by cover-ups, you'll see this same pattern. It's not prophetic, it's just simply reading truth into the circumstances that we've observed all too often. You know, back in season two on Open Spaces, in specifically in episodes five, six, and seven, I did a three-part series which I titled Derailed. And for whatever reason, that series garnered the most number of listeners to any of my podcasts before or since. And I think it largely might have to do with the fact that it pointed to the issues that cost leaders, especially leaders in the church, to derail, and hubris was one of the critical factors. Anyway, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already heard them. But my larger point is that the systemic patterns of failure that we see among leaders, specifically among Christian leaders in the church, is always rooted in hubris, which in turn gives birth to cynicism. And in case you weren't clear on the meaning of cynicism, that is simply distrusting or disparaging the motives of others. It is showing contempt for accepted standards of honesty or morality by one's actions, especially of actions that exploit the scruples of others. So you see a lot of cynicism among church leaders. Um, It's crazy. I've been watching a documentary recently about a global megachurch that developed a culture of cynicism and narcissism so heavily that... It is alleged that abuse, dishonesty, and financial mismanagement became part of the system of leadership. Ultimately, many of the primary leaders in that organization have been exposed recently for sexual misconduct, for a culture of covering up sin and abuse, and for huge financial mismanagement. You see, it's when hubris sets in and cynicism becomes the order of the day so that even victims of abuse are vilified and shamed yet again and made to look like they are the ones who caused the fall. And cover-ups are rife to protect the ones in leadership. That's when the culture of an organization becomes toxic and ceases to be life-giving. That's when you start to see gaslighting and secrecy and heavy-handedness become the order of the day. And anyone who dares to question the system is shamed and ostracized. I would say when we forget as Christ followers, especially as Christian leaders, when we forget Galatians 20 as our yardstick for measuring our effectiveness as Christ followers, and notice I didn't say as leaders, I said as Christ followers, and and just in case you've forgotten, here's what Galatians 20 says again, I've been crucified with Christ, my ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you 
or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, if we forget that, if that no longer is the yardstick by which we measure effective Christianity, if we don't acknowledge that it is not our lives to live, it is Christ living in us, that we are dead, and that we are dead to our egos and to our personal um, accomplishments, if we don't recognize that, then hubris and cynicism and narcissism set in. And the church begins to serve the systems that it has itself created while seeking to protect its leaders rather than serving God and caring for the vulnerable and hurting people that we've been called to reach. But just in case you've completely misunderstood the intent or focus of my podcast today, let me say it as clearly as I possibly can. As a pastor and leader in the global church, I, Joseph Thompson, am part of the problem that has created these systemic patterns of failure. And again, depending on the attitude with which you listen to this, maybe you're very quick to be judgmental and you say, well, who said you were a leader in the global church? Well, listen, all I mean by that is the simple fact that I've had the privilege to preach the gospel across continents, uh, on across four different continents and... Uh, um, I, I've had the incredible, humbling opportunity to help shape decisions in, in nations, whole nations and governments through uh, the ministry opportunities that have presented themselves. And that's all I mean. Uh, so again, I want to emphasize that I hold myself as part of the problem that's created these systemic patterns of failure. Because when you're in a system that is designed to create a certain ideology, uh, where the system itself becomes more important than the people that the system is designed to serve, then you have become a problem. Because then all you're trying to do is protect the system and not the people. And you see, friends, that's why I'm on a quest. I want to tell a better story with my life. I want to follow the biblical injunction to remove the beam from my own eye, which blurs my vision, so I can clearly see to help remove the speck out of my brother's eye. That's what I want to do. Ultimately, I want to love God and people so well that people will say about me what Robert Ingersoll said about Abraham Lincoln. I want people to actually say he never abused power. He was only on the side of mercy. I don't want hubris and narcissism and cynicism to dictate the way that I interact or relate to people. I want love and mercy to become the hallmarks of who I am. You see, because love and mercy are characteristics of the God I profess to serve. And if I must be more like Jesus, I must learn to become merciful and love, even in my own brokenness. I'm on a quest to live out my humanity, looking more like Jesus with each passing day. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Open Spaces podcast.